do we just have to smell each other and then whoever's pheromones match, we'll just all be friends. And then we just, that, that's more efficient. I think that's where it varies in the person. The description of how Europeans are maybe more coconuts, where it's like, it's hard to get in, like with certain people, like maybe just in general, with some people, it's very hard to like kind of cross the threshold to be more personal. But once you've crossed that threshold, you're like a brother or sister, you're a sibling versus Americans may tend to be more of a peach. I even grew up in the Midwest, so I have this, like, a lot of personal history with that, where, like, people are super welcome, they super effusive, like, welcome, welcome, but then you reach this point that's, like, basically impossible to get past unless you're, like, family, right? And I think everyone is genuinely different in how they create relationships, and that some people are just very good at one type, and others are good at another type, but it's, like, if you see someone being hyper-successful, being, like, that classic politician at a party and like that's who they are and like everyone loves them but like you're kind of an introvert don't try and copy what they're doing because that's not you and that's okay but it's like hey you will do way better the more you embrace who yourself like if you're an introvert great do your thing and people will love you for doing their thing leading with authenticity and leading with your own personal vulnerability people are going to respect that way more than you trying to create some persona that isn't you and you'll have more fun and you'll be more satisfied with the outcome because hey like Maybe I didn't get any friends today, but I did what I should. I did what I believed I should. Like I didn't make, I didn't have meaningless small talk just to, you know, make a friend for the night because I don't believe in the value of meaningless small talk. Then great. Like that was a successful night. You didn't make any friends and you shouldn't have. Great. Do it again. Don't quit your strategy just because you aren't getting results. Hey, welcome to the Friendship Futurism Podcast. I'm your host, Bill May, and my guest today is Solon Teal. Solon is the co-founder of Talk Social, an app for having genuine, deep conversations in an online-first world. So, Solon, first question for you. Uh, yeah, just how's Talk Social going? What kind of feedback have you been getting? Well, you know, your early feedback to me kind of almost scared me off early on. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. No, just, no joke, I'm joking, but like you were one of the people whose feedback I always go back to in terms of I want to build something for Bill. As in like I want something that I can convert this like really well-informed hater. Understandably <laughs> so. No, and like and I mean this in like the truly the most yeah. positive way because Sure. I myself, like, I don't know if you can have, you know, software facilitated intimate conversations. I would like to believe so because that would be incredibly useful for humanity. But uh, like, I'm there with you and I'm like, yeah, I, I want it to work. What, what was, what was the specific feedback I gave that you were like, damn, Bill has high standards. There were a couple things. I think this was in the first few minutes of our talking is that you mentioned how the problem that I was solving may be a coastal one. And that there is often this approach of, you know, of how this idea that people form relationships through like really high quality intellectual conversations and just like you want someone who vibes with. And you commented, which I, I think like I agree with on multiple levels, is that ultimately we're kind of all just like, you know, we don't really have that high standards. We just want to like hang with people. We're willing to follow the crowd. We just like want a group, a tribe of sorts to belong with. And it's much less around like individual relationships versus belonging to a collective identity. And I think I, be I think I do actually agree with that in many sense. It's just that what is that collective identity that we can belong to? And I think it's just so confusing now. The internet 
like what is like we used to have let's say like a few dozen collective identities right now it's like a few hundred thousand you know there is a micro community for anything and that is profoundly lonely if you're a member of some tiny community with people around the world and no one in your immediate like your physical circles ever heard of this you're speaking on different planes it's just like hey there is a big question around what loneliness is and I do think it's all around finding your tribe. I am actually in this weird zone where I have actually felt more lonely this month. I've been in Austin for three months now. It's like the novelty is wearing off and I'm like, okay, I need to like actually meet people here now. I'm vaccinated now. Like I can go out and do things. 100%. If I could just bookmark the word novelty for a second, because I actually want to come back to that, but maybe just like a brief tangent is before we are Love talking, tangents. Let's do it. Uh, I read your article about like healthy living or it was just like you have like the private subscriber list right but like i i'm a fan and and i think your comments all sorts of things around exercise i think are especially fascinating but the idea of a good plan i feel is very true for exercise and i actually think in general is becoming more true for all of us in all aspects of our lives including startups because there is increasingly more and more noise out there that if you don't have the good plan beforehand, it's so easy to get distracted that you then start going down all these different rabbit holes. Mm. So I, I think that's this mm -hmm. idea of like planning, like of being strategic in like everything you do. And admittedly, I'm biased because I, I probably often overthink things. So of course I want the world to be moving in this direction. But I do think is like, we all need to be much more intentional and planned in anything we do now because of this omnipresence of the internet. Yeah, we're preaching to the choir here. It's the acceleration of addictiveness. Can we talk about novelty one second? Because I think that's yeah. like a fascinating thing, especially when you're thinking of social, is that so much is not novel now. And we've become even more interested in novelty, especially with the content explosion that we've had over COVID, with people as well, right? I think on some levels, once you've spent time with someone for 10 years, like a few years, that you'll, we all have that honeymoon period, but I feel like the honeymoon period for all of us is starting to weigh off a little bit more because there's always something more shiny and it's always easier to move on to the next thing instead of just sitting in our collective humanity that we're all kind of boring. <laughs> I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I agree. It's so tough. Like those first few times of anything, you're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I'm learning so much. And then at some point you develop that habit or that schedule and things start ex accelerating time loses its meaning and then you're like are we you're kind of boring because i saw this new friendly thing it's like the tinder effect right it's like why would we ever stick anyone once we've learned about some uncomfortable reality of them when there are a bunch of people who look pretty perfect and seem perfect on the outside and we can just move to them pretty easily it's like the mm -hmm. friction novelty all these things i think are novelties is this fascinating word to me mm -hmm. do you think about that in the context also of like event planning going back to this idea of like planning and being intentional right Th this is something i struggle with too because i also enjoy being spontaneous and weird and silly it's like how much of like as a community builder should i be making events that are purely just like weird and different just to attract attention because i i want the discovery and increasing the top of the funnel you know and something you think about as a host because it's like, if your event is amazing, but then no one hears about it, well, then no one's going to show up. <laughs> so there's no point. And so, so you need, you need to have some kind of like outbound marketing for your event. But at the same time, you do want to 
have a group of people who are committed to something and like will show up consistently because that's how you actually build community is having the recurrence and having the deeper connection. I think that's a really good comment, especially around this aspect of, I think at their heart, most event planners, creators, conveners are insecure. And understandably so, because generally you get people to attend, like join a new community. Like they're, if you're creating something new, it's very possible that nobody will show up. And that's always implicit, right? And because people, like, we're all about momentum. Like, I, I think, you know, I don't know if you've seen Westworld, but like, I feel like Westworld is so, such a great commentary and just like our social lives in so many ways. But just as like, we get on these loops and momentum, et cetera, but like you try and start something new, if it's unfamiliar, you might not get anyone join. If you're an event planner, you've done this enough times that you know is like sometimes you put a ton of effort in something and like two people show up. So it's just it's kind of built in. Like once you've gotten that point, you're just very familiar with this. Like you're always living on the edge. And so you have to be really good at balancing both novelty while also the marketing side and convincing others to come. I think what often uh, a challenge that happens is you get that novelty, you get that first event, you're like, ooh, awesome, we got something. You do that second one, you're like, ooh, great. And then I'm talking to people and even just this idea of like convener burnout to community leader burnout, which seems like it's increasing more and more. There's this thing of you were hyper creative in the first place, which gave you this opportunity to create this new community, this new type of experience, this new event. People come, they love it. But then you're, you almost become in this weird way, like a slave to this idea. Like you have to keep doing the same thing over and over because you know how, how tricky it is to create community. That once you kind of create it, how much do you really want to be like messing around with that balance? It's like you see the opportunity, you see the thing that hasn't really been created yet. And you want to just kind of start over completely fresh and you want to have that complete novelty, but a, not everyone's really always interested in that constant novelty, and and B, it's just a little bit of it's just exhausting to always be living on that edge, wondering, okay, if I make this new thing, will anyone show up? When I think a lot of community leaders are just, like you're generally introverts, you just want a controlled environment where you can interact with others, and it's this balance. And this isn't saying like, oh, woe is them, but it's just like, hey, like there's, I have deep empathy, I think, like as one, for just the mental circles that you need to go to where you have to be both hyper operational and hyper creative. And that is exhausting. It, it's interesting that you mentioned the kind of insecurity of like, is anyone going to show up? Because I've totally definitely had events in the past where I put a ton of effort and then like zero people showed up <laughs> and it's, and you're right. And it's sad, right? At the end of the day, you're like, damn, nobody loves me. Right. But then like, I don't know, you just, you keep going. I guess I've just had enough of those failures that, it just doesn't bother me anymore. Well, I think I always go back to the best events are the weirdest. And I would say I've seen is that the best events are those that are weird, but by weird, I mean, they're the most personal. They are like an embodiment of that event planner style, like who they are, like their art. And I like, I truly do see creating social spaces and social containers as an art form. And that you know, you look at like we often we describe painters or other artists, it's like they were good, but then they really came into their own when they like to start embracing this like very Bill style or this very Solon style or this very like Yo-Yo Ma style or, you know, who, who, whoever it might be. Right. Uh, and 
just events that are end-to-end infused with like the quirks of that creator i think that's like the coolest thing so that's been the most consistent is like when you really get down to it the best events always have these quirks that are deeply personal that ultimately if you're leading with a deeply personal event or experience as the creator that then inspires others to lead with their own deeply personal vulnerability what have you it's a really good friend of mine who teaches at the d school manasa just she, she had this quote when i was interviewing her of how if you want to design for vulnerability you have to lead with vulnerability and what better way to lead with vulnerability than to create the space that is crazy you know be playing on heavy metal have painted crazy colors on the wall all those things are a statement and people we intuitively notice statements i mean language is so important in defining all this and it's the language not only conveys meaning but it also conveys tone or just like what to expect like if you call it cybernetically enhanced the people there already know this is something different and i think that's just like the most like I mean, Priya Parker you know, and so many others talk about like, you got to make sure that people know this space is different. And we really don't have that very much, right? And I, you, you like early on, we were talking about like how we had like these like much smaller communities. And you mentioned, you know, uh, religion, you know, community, all these things. Like those all, like all those places had like distinct, this is different. You know, I mean, even now, if you go back in a, in a church, a synagogue, a mosque, it feels different. You know, and it's like, you know, different things happen there. On the corporate environments, you know, once you've been in one tech company, one tech company's office, you've kind of been to them all. They don't feel different. How, how do you, how do you guys solve for that? Like, and because, because this is a problem, like I, I would love to see a solution for as well. So I think it goes back to what we were talking about is like what we've learned about how the best events are often driven by a point of view and points of view I think are often embodied by a person, maybe embodied by a process, or maybe embodied by a philosophy. And just as like quick examples, right, is like, uh, you know, we think of like, what's a great example, like a community space is CrossFit. Like CrossFit's fascinating. CrossFit has like, like a process, you know, and like CrossFit, like you come there, it's a place that's different. You know what to do. It creates a specific energy. And I think like the aspect of energy is critical for any event to be like successful, unique, remarkability, memorable. Uh, philosophy, like if everyone is coming there because they believe some similar thing and that, that similar thing, you know, maybe you open with a prayer or a poem or, you know, some sort of other ritual, right, is that is going to create a space. And so it's thinking about all these things is, you know, we're focusing on creators and like these creators could be these individuals, it could be like a more abstract organization, it could be a movement, right? And how do you allow these creators to create an energy for a space for some sort of structured or intentional social conversation, social interaction? It has to be social, like you can't have everyone just drawing. I mean, I think there are plenty of solutions where like if you want to be like, playing with friends, you can do that. This is actually like, no, like, let's talk. Like, let's exchange words. You need to be able to create the certain energy that sets the tone. And if you want to create that certain energy that sets the tone, you need to give creators control over the environment. And so that's what we're doing is, hey, like, if you want to, 
you know, for the first five minutes that people talk, if you want to turn off everyone's video chat, video cameras, and they can't even themselves turn it on, you can. You know what, if you want to, you know, mute people at certain times, or you want to play a video that like you pre-record that like leads everyone in a meditation, you can. And I, I think it's, we're very early, right? And, you know, we talk about how we're, uh, maybe the Canva for conversation, people are familiar with Canva. Uh, you know, maybe it's more of a Final Cut Pro, right, for social conversation. Like, what does that look like, being able to completely control your own video room? That is the direction we're going, because I will probably say this ad nauseum and to a point, but I believe that creativity will save us from eating ourselves socially. Uh, and just, I think of this, you know, radicalization is creativity will save us. And we need to enable creatives to create the space. And you create the space by imbuing it with human energy. And you got to do that. You got, I think we have to be able to do that at scale, which is where, like, really the crux of this is. is the question is, can, you, can we create intimacy at scale? I don't know. I We have to. <laughs> I do know is that we got to be able to figure that out. There's no question, like, we have to be able to figure it out so that we don't have to rely on creators such as you. Like, you always have to be present because you only have so much time and they're like, I don't know what it is. I feel it's like less than 5% of people are really event creators, maybe even less. But, like, that's way, there's way more demand for these spaces than there's actually supply. And we got to increase supply. Yeah, it's, it's, I think about that a lot too, right? There's this term, like, being a relationship freeloader. And like, it's from David Kane. He has this blog post about that. And I remember reading about that and like that blog post changing my life because that's when I realized that I was a relationship freeloader. I would get invited to parties and I would go to parties and like I had friends who were social. And so I had this active, vibrant social life. I, I never realized that actually that was just me receiving the value from these other people who are doing all the work. And so it was like my social life was not as vibrant as I thought it was. It only appeared that way only because I could just show up at all these activities and not have to think about it. In order to actually be good at that, I have to be on the other side and creating those spaces and events. That idea really flipped me and changed me to who I am today. It sounds like what you're trying to do is like systematically or scalably kind of flip people on that perspective as well. I think it's easier than people think. First is if you already know what you're doing, you generally lack the tools to create what you want. Like we're using Zoom, Hangouts. I mean, like we just, there are more and more tools. I think Gather Out Town, what they're building is amazing. Gather Around is fascinating. Like I think there are all these, like we're building tools that people can start controlling environments, more setting the energy, et cetera. But that greater is like, you need more tools. Like you think of how much you can be fiddling around with a room, trying to set it up. There's like endless little tweaks that you can be doing. You move like a table, like two inches and you're like, oh, now it looks good, right? It's like, I'm not saying we want to empower like the fully that, but we can do more for sure. But the other side too, is I said, as that end person, the, you know, the relationship freeloader that you may say is, I have a lot of empathy for that position because A is none of us are really taught how to be social. None of us are really taught how to like host events, how to be a good host we often just take it for granted. I think that's just like, this is a whole, like really this is an art form, but we don't have art school for convening. Like we don't have like, like how do you level up your skills? Being a host is really tricky. And I think it unfortunately just comes down so often to being uh, a bit of a class position because if you want to host, especially like you either have to be able to afford an event space or have a home that's like enough to host others. 
like if you're living in a studio it's really hard to host right and so like who are the traditional hosts the people who've had more wealth more ability to create spaces and also those are the people who tend to have stronger social networks anyway so it's just kind of this like repeating cycle of the socially rich get richer and others like i think like all hosts know the power of hosts it's like once you start hosting once you start creating events all of a sudden you just become this like giant gravity well for connections opportunities relationships all these things because like you're now creating community but like if you don't even have those tools that's kind of a closed off thing and like i generally i like i really want to enable anyone to be able to create like experiences of some you know of some uniqueness of some personality and i think that's why i'm so excited about digital because there's no rent you don't have to pay an event space you can be really really cheap and create these really dynamic communities i believe and it's not gatekeeped you don't have a gatekeeper like we've had for so long so that's maybe a longer longer answer with some some tangents with him but i think there's just like this really interesting aspect of you know first is help the people who already know to do it better but then first is enable others who've never even thought of them as a host like hey no you can do this and it's like not that straightforward and i again i have no we are all relationship freeloaders because I mean, you know, we can always go back to like ancient humans in a tribe of like one to 200 people. Like there wasn't really a such thing as freeloader. Like, you know, you just see people constantly, but now if we're scattered across so many different networks is you can be doing a lot in one, one community, one network, but maybe not another. And people have different perspectives of your community impact. Freeloading is definitely a strong word. I don't mean to like imply any judgment. 100%. Yeah. No, I, but I think, I, mean, I think it's always the incentives i always think i'm very right. incentive i always think about incentives and there are few incentives to not be a freeloader because why not right someone yeah. else does all the work like that's <laughs> yeah, awesome like like yeah. that's rational like you should let someone else do all the work if you don't have to yeah and and to be fair part of being a good host is also making it as low friction as possible for people to show up yeah hosting is fascinating because it's like the most selfless yet selfish thing I think you can do. I mean, there are many things I think, but just, you know, a really good host is always thinking about their guests and like, you're kind of almost like system designing it. You're like playing through the perspectives. Like, hey, when someone, if you really want to get planner and, you know, maybe I'm revealing my planner aspect, right? It's like, once someone steps in the door, what do you want that first experience to be like? Like, how do you want to set the tone? And, you know, not everyone thinks like that, but like some level you're like thinking like, oh, like, do I want finger food? And if I have finger food, then I better be giving people plates. Like you're playing through that experiential journey. And so you're hy hyper empathetic. But at the same time is, you know, if you're a good host, like you live for people being like, hey, Bill, hey, Sol, and that was an amazing event. Thank you. Or, oh, that was great. Let me invite you to this other party. Or, oh, let me introduce you to Sol and Bill. Like, you know, they're a connector, or, you know, what have you. It's just like there is a certain amazing feeling that you get by creating community that... I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's like there are tremendous benefits, but also it's a very selfless aspect, which is why I think it's so fun. Like, I agree. It's very fun because it's like a win-win. It's just somewhat exhausting, but it's a win-win. And like entrepreneurship too, in, in a lot of ways, because there's a selfish level of like, oh, I want to make money and like build a big company and whatever. But then it's also selfless because you can't get there unless you are 100% focused on getting users what they want. Yeah, like I 100% agree is like you can be a completely transactionally social climber host, but you're still hosting. 
so it's it's like you know you're still creating value for others so yeah i mean i have there are bigger issues or bigger problems in the world i think to like worry about a host maybe sure. doing it for the wrong reason because you're you're create you're doing the thing like let's let's have everyone be doing the thing first and then like as then then we can start you know going down the next level of are you doing things for the right reason but let's just all start building yeah. out good habits you know well, it's like if, if you're you, working, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. you believe there's true altruism or whatever, but I, I just think that's like not really necessary. I, I think it matters much less of maybe it's just like a bit more utilitarian, which is does it help the general world? Right. Then great. let's start with that. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with that. So one thing I'm curious is what? Where do you see your future going with the internet? I love this topic. Yeah. But I'm, I'm yeah, curious yeah. is where where you think of it and where we're going, especially since you mentioned transhumanism a couple times. Sure. So it always like perks up my ears. Like yeah. you're at least aware. If someone is aware of the phrase transhumanism, I feel like you got thoughts on the internet. <laughs> I, I think like we, we are already cyborgs. We are already cyborgs. Like we just, it's just our implants called our phones are just outsider bodies. Like, I don't know anybody who walks anywhere without their phone or goes and does anything without their phone. Your phone is already a part of your body. It's just not physically inside you. It's the first thing you touch when you wake up. It's the last thing you have when you go to sleep. And it tracks everything about you. It knows how fast your heart is beating. It knows how many steps you've taken. It knows the latitude and longitude location of everywhere you've been on earth. It knows every person you've ever talked to ever. It's not a question of like, do you believe in transhumanism? It's just like you are already part of this future where you are a cyborg. I don't know. It's just, it's fun to think about, right? Like I, I'm into sci-fi, right? I'm into the whole hey, let's be awesome and like we can like be a spacefaring species because that's, that's freaking awesome. I think that's great. It's just fun to think about. You know, it's, it's much better than the alternative of like, oh no, we're screwed and we're going to die. The end. Right? Yeah, the just, doomerism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the like nihilism from that. Because, um, you know, because it's like if we're all screwed and we're going to die, it's like, oh, well, at least let's try to not do that and like take some action to to not do that, right? Like just, I don't know, invest in nuclear energy and like hmm. carbon removal and all that. It's just, it's cool. It's fun. Like I, I'm into it. I think one comment just on the, like we are cyborgs now is, I think I agree. Uh, maybe even on the more, you know, the more societal or meta level is Skynet has already taken over. You know, what drives the economy in so many ways and it's the stock market, right? Like publicly traded companies in many ways dictate so much of a reality, right? Okay, well, what drives their incentive? Stock market. Okay, what drives the stock market? Like high frequency trading AI driven algorithms right at this point. And so in a way is like, if it's not good for the AI that's doing so much of our trading on Wall Street, then it's not like that's like the trickle down, like it impacts everything, right? So on some levels, like, yeah, I think like we're already being implicitly guided in certain directions uh and we have that individual level influence as well which i think is both great and terrible but it's more just like yeah that's like the new us uh i i think on some levels if you are a millennial you are the last i want to say human like the last real connection to pre-internet like i generally believe is the internet is on order of magnitude of agriculture for us uh, simply because we are now that hive mind and it's like kind of amazing where at any one given moment you can access the entirety of human knowledge 
<laughs> like that is that that's that's like that's completely alien. I mean, that's incredible. And I, I did this uh, like year long project on digital wellness for teens a few years ago. And like everyone was always talking about screen time, screen time, screen time. And I think what I came out of it is it's not about screen time. It's like, what are you looking at? Because if you're looking at that, like if you live in some community somewhere that has a certain set of beliefs and you're spending time on the internet and you read about all these things that like empirically disprove what your community believes, like talking about loneliness, that is, that's like a somewhat a traumatic event where like we are, everyone is forced to kind of confront their upbringing or confront beliefs that they have by themselves through the internet is like all of a sudden our worlds are completely shifted. And at that point, it's like, well, do you embrace that new knowledge or do you kind of dig in and be like, no, what I'm reading is not true. And that's a deeply personal thing that, I mean, I feel like, yeah, we're part cyborg, but we're also somewhat rejecting our cyborg implants in a way we're like we don't want to fully accept it but again i look i feel like gen z and everything there in many ways having to deal with themselves like completely online for all of high school like i talk with anyone who is like everyone who's not in high school now is like thank god i wasn't in high school with social media like who do they if you're in high school now who do you look up to who's done this before like we don't have any elders that can inform them and i'm not saying like they need to be informed but just like someone to go to advice like someone who's been there we don't really have that so i think there's just like this giant monumental shift that we all know is happening but i don't think we can really call out enough that you know is nobody is really giving good direction or clear guidance or at least not on a you have to search for it and you have to search for it and then once you search for it they themselves become human and, you know, there's sometimes a lack of nuance. I, I think, I mean, in defense of the internet, though. Oh, did I feel like I was criticizing the internet? Like, I know you're not criticizing the internet. I think what you're trying to reflect is this, maybe this unconscious worry of, like, will we lose our humanity if we get subsumed into the hive mind, right? Uh, we ourselves are the ones who define humanity, so we're just redefining it. Like we've always been redefining it. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's the, you know, in general, you probably have like, you know, people of all ages having a similar definition. And now it's like, we're getting pretty inconsistent definitions across everything. And that's, you know, language is such a barrier. Like if we aren't even talking, we aren't even talking about the same thing. That's just a yeah. challenge. I think it, and it's, net, I mean, that's net, causing it's, the loneliness, it's exciting. right? Is, is, is yeah. the thing, right? Just because everybody is in their own filter bubbles, right? You cannot come to a common agreement because you're coming from completely different worldviews. That, and I think it's also internet is revealing things that have been there for a while. Right. You know, even like bowling alone, like everyone, you know, yeah. it's a classic comment, like even in the 90s, like even in like the 50s in the United States, right, is, you know, the move to the suburb started creating all sorts of challenges. I mean, move to the suburbs if you could afford it, right? And like everyone else, it's like you were basically left without much, uh, you know, much of a safety net. Right. Uh, and there is this, like, it's this has been going on for a while, and now we're just, like, kind of seeing the reality for what it is beyond the veneer that yeah. I think so many people have been able to just, you know, brush past. I, I feel like that's up. very liberating, though, in a lot of ways. Like, oh, it I is agree. definitely very scary, you know, to to get your freedom in a sort of, in a sort of way, right? To break out of your social conditioning. Um, like, I, I remember I discovered Wikipedia when I was, like, in high school and I was this like disaffected youth like 
being like, oh, mm-hmm. why am I forced to write all these assignments that don't make any sense? I'm bored, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I would just, I would go home and just read Wikipedia and just be really fascinated about like, just these, all these like random topics. Like I just would learn about psychology and all these like crazy things that they would do in the experiments, like the Milgram experiment and stuff. And it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, and like nobody would talk about that at our school because that was you know, a university level subject or whatever, but it was just available to me because I had an internet connection. I can like read up about that. Mm-hmm. It made me in a lot of ways feel less lonely because it, it made me feel like, like, oh, I'm not some weird kid who's just not interested in school and like kind of a loner. It's like, there are people who are interested in topics that I'm interested in. They're out there somewhere and it's, you know, it's up to me to, to go find them. And so it, in a lot of ways, I felt like that was very liberating in a lot of ways for myself. But I agree, right? Because it, it, it also meant that I couldn't just like hang out with my friends and talk about the Milgram experiment or like, I don't know. <laughs> but it doesn't mean like I can't be friends with people who are just physically near me because we would just do other things like we'd play basketball or whatever. There is like an aspect of getting what we need socially and personally from multiple different sources now, which instead of relying on a small group of people to provide everything, I mean, it's like, I think oftentimes, even just like if you're a long-term relationship, if you start looking, if you start relying on your partner for everything, maybe it's going to be great. And I hope it is, but also for a lot of people, I know it's not. And that's because it's, you know, we all have those quirks that like annoy the heck out of someone that like may love us very deeply. And, you know, it's kind of, it can be really hard to get over those things occasionally, or just like, oh, like if I have a hunger to talk about the Milgram experiment, just like, hey, you don't like psychology at all. Like, you better be finding an outlet elsewhere because otherwise you're just going to keep being like, hey, you want to talk about Milgram or talk about this one thing? And they're like, no, thank you. And then over time, you're like, you don't care about me at all versus they're just like, I'm just, that's outside of my realm, my like sphere of influence as a human. I can only do so much. <laughs> like, so it's it's that it's that challenge, right? Of we can all only do so much, and I always think of personalities as facets, and or almost like uh, like viruses. You know, like antibodies have like you know attachments that attach to other things. It's like we all have so many of those appendages that we probably all have like ten different soulmates at any one given moment in the world. And with the internet, we have the potential to actually find those soulmates of just like hey, like someone who just completes this like one particular need of you in this given moment. It's kind of awesome to be able to find that. And that's why I'm, I'm deeply optimistic and hopeful about the internet. As long as we can tame a lot of, I think the authoritarian hyper capitalistic uh, engagement, obsession, economy, things that we have going that is preventing us from like are all distractions to that potential. I think, you know, people who are excited about the internet, always focus on and the, the liberating aspect instead of the you know insane the restricting aspects i don't know like what's what's your vision for the internet is that your vision i think my vision is that we're going to increasingly have to take uh collective responsibility i think you know there makes sense because like the whole aspect like personal responsibility i think is a very loaded term that often comes into political debates which i i'm not suggesting is like oh everyone just needs to take personal responsibility of what they're on their time but more a matter of what are the incentives that we're going towards and if we can align along those then i think the system works uh but i think there has to be a more 
we need to be having more discussions like this in short, or just like have people be aware of, hey, what happens if you give your four-year-old access to an iPad without any like content restrictions? It's just, just let's just talk about it. You know, like fundamentally it's like conversations, like, hey, like let's kind of acknowledge the messy stuff that none of us talk about. I think there's just like a collective up-leveling of, oh, this is not like a toy. This is like our potential pathway to become an enlightened multi-planetary species. Like we aren't doing any of those without the internet. I mean, we may very easily self collapse because of the internet. I'm just like, it's our choice, but it's our collective choice. And I think, you know, we can't be reliant on, you know, tech giants. We can't be reliant on 80 year old politicians uh, to make that. It's like the internet users, like the collective mind is both dumb and brilliant so we gotta you know it's constantly up leveling i feel like i said a lot without saying anything but i i don't know I, I, like my vision is we get to choose because right now i don't feel like we're getting to choose it's being it's, it's too centralized for us to choose and i it's too easy to be distracted by those central powers <laughs> there's a i think as part of that there's this matter of does it matter which i think you you I mean you commented as like maybe there isn't free will but just imagine that there is i think it's like i go to uh like probably one of the things that's impacted me the most that's actually been one of the biggest design principles or ideas behind talk social is uh like vipassana retreats i've been like 10 day silent meditation retreats went to my first one seven eight years ago and been on two since and every time it's the hardest thing i've done and just because even though my meditation practice has evolved is it always makes me really think and realize the ways in which I'm not questioning my reality, not observing my reality, not being present. And that's where I think it's like, hey, free will, if we are just here for the ride, we better be observing the ride, seeing what it is for what it is as we go along, because like then you get to actually see it. I mean, like, if we're just not, like, spectators, like, we better be spectators instead of being, like, closing our eyes. And I think that's how I just, like, emphasize the value of presence. It doesn't have to be through meditation, it can be through working out, it can be through something else. It's just, you know, are you being a spectator with your, in your own life and being present? Or are you just kind of being pulled along without doing anything? And again, we are none of us are taught this. <laughs> like, because, so it's, like, great. It's, like, always an opportunity for us to... My eyes were open and some people may have had their eyes opened when they were one year old and maybe others not till they're 80. And it's all just, it's all a process for all of us. Is that your personal mission too? Just unplug people from the matrix? In a yeah. lot of ways, that's what intentionality is, right? It's like, we're kind of in this walking stupor and you want to just like slap them in the face, be like, wake up. <laughs> like, well, it's funny, right? Is I think like we tend to want to, I mean, on some level, I want to validate my own worldview by my helping others maybe see things in a way similar to me is you know it's on a, a selfish level like that's validating right it's like okay like you're, i'm doing well but then it's so easy for me to fall in the trap of doing it for the wrong reasons of just right. like yeah you know falling in that trap versus like i increasingly i'm just like i will talk about extremes of emotion but if someone's going to do it or someone's not i feel the exact same way i just truly want them to be happy <laughs> and for me i found i think more satisfaction through this process 
I know others who've done Vipassana who've like struggled quite a bit and everyone has a different process. Yeah. It's more about the process than the outcome. Right. Because once you leave one matrix, you're entering another. Mm. Right. And then you don't want to fall in the trap of like, yeah, we're the enlightened ones. You must join us or else you're a sheep. Right. Which is where it's like, I think it's often the people who talk less who probably have a better sense of what you should be doing. It's like, you know, you think of how like many think pieces, like by all these authors, right? The wisest people, I think on some levels may just be living in a hut somewhere off the grid. We don't hear about them because they're doing the right thing. Presence, presence, play. Dave Graber has like one of the best like articles I've ever seen called what's the point if we aren't having fun when we're talking in anthropology about animals is we're looking for meaning and reasons why they're doing it. Like, oh, they are mating. So therefore that's why they're doing this dance versus he talks about like, there are all sorts of instances of animals, just like, you know, bears just like rubbing their back against trees. And like, they're just having fun. They're just like rolling around and that's part of the condition. But so much of what we're doing, especially I think unfortunately with tech, which is like, oh, I'm like biohacking myself. I'm like always progressing. I'm always improving. But that's you awesome. But it's also, well, like, are you having fun? <laughs> like, it's like, what's the point if you aren't having fun? Like a thousand years, nobody will ever remember what you did. So like, who are you doing it for? There are a couple different experience formats I've been playing around with, which is this idea of take uh, like convergence and divergence, which is imagine you can attend an event where you have four to five people, you maximize the diversity on every trait except for one. And on that one trait, they are all exactly the same. And then have people and like you kind of ground everyone as like, oh, you're all the same on this one thing. People like kind of establish like this like mutual connection. But then you go to the extreme is, okay, now let's talk about all the ways that you're all radically different. And it's this like kind of weird balance of this, again, this like paradox of humanity, like we're all super similar, we're all different. On the other side is, so that's like one version. The flip side of that is find people that are completely the same on multiple metrics, like almost all of them, except for one in which they're radically different. Like this is the idea of like, oh, group of four to five people, all of them grew up in New England. They went to prep schools, Ivy Leagues, etc. But that one of them is a socialist, one of them is a fascist, one of them is, you know, a libertarian, like kind of all these things, right? And like, okay, like now talk about politics. Do, right? do those exist in preppy New England schools? I don't know. I think actually increasingly so with the internet, uh, which is like fascinating because like now, like kind of these, I think, traditional stereotypes still true-ish, but also like rapidly kind of getting chipped away because you get caught in your own bubble. And I think everyone often has a desire, especially when you're growing up, to be different than the people around you. Or there's like some, you have some reactionary part of you and like it's different how it manifests, Uh, but that you then like you start charting your own path. It's like how you have like hyper-religious parents have like an atheist child or, you know, hyper-conservative parents have like a you know, raging liberal child, right? It's, you know, reactions and all these things just occur naturally. I think there's occurring more with the internet. So it's, I just mentioned that because it's, I agree with the, you know, getting outside our filter bubble. It's like, what if we can structure that better and then also just create these like, you know, more novel conversations that we can't get if we're just dealing in physical reality.
moderation is always uncomfortable, but it's for the best. It goes back to like, we should all just need to be told our limits. So my approach is, and maybe this is the wrong approach, but my approach is always just like, as long as you're not like being mean or personally putting down anyone, and as long as you're assuming good faith, like I generally am hands off. Sounds yeah. good to me. I always argue the opposite, right? It's like, are there people who are left? I mean, not not arguing with this, but right. just like, like as that check is, are there people who would be left behind within that yes. framework? And, and there definitely are, right? And I think like, because it does create a certain vibe that is different from like a quote unquote, a safe space, right? You know, because it's like, because it's like, if you have like emotional safety where you feel like you, you are going to be supported and legitimized by the moderation, that's, I think it's a different environment than like an environment where it's like, you have the freedom to say what you want, as long as you're not being toxic. You know, and I think that's like actually a really foundational comment. It's almost like the out the door comment, but it's the, we all need a mix and we need like, we have, we lack spaces right now. And that if you have only safe spaces or if you've only combative spaces, that's not good for anyone. But that I think a lot of my sense and just like, you know, it's just, again, assuming best intentions from everyone is like, if you are often talking about the need for safe space, you probably don't have enough of them. And so it's just like a reflection of your desire to have more of those. And on the ver reverse, if like you're like, hey, no, like anything goes, you probably don't have enough like complete free speech zones and you feel like constrained. And like, that's the whole thing. It's like, I think a lot of like these frictions that we have from people disagreeing about what type of space it is, is just simply because there aren't enough designed spaces, which goes back to community creators only have so much capacity and like it takes a lot of effort and like it takes all of your efforts of moderation versus like the more you can distribute the load the better off we all are it's why we need more social networks it's like if i can only vent on twitter that's really restrictive to like how i can interact because like i have to obey those tos twitter's incentives are bad too right because it you get likes for being like you suck but you don't get likes for tell me more about your perspective exactly so and in a way, it's like if someone's going to tell you your perspective, it's a tweet storm, right? It's like, oh, you want me to unpack 40 years of <laughs> political theory? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, how, how do you do that? You need a conversation. Yeah. I think what's good about the Idea Club space also is that like because we have this regular meetup where people can see each other and like actually talk to each other, that fundamentally creates that layer of like good faith because it's like you can be disagreeing with each other, this person that you're disagreeing with because you've had multiple interactions with them already and you know that you're going to continue to interact with them. And so that kind of helps with the like people seeing each other as humans and not just like somebody they're dunking on on Twitter. But it's like a very funny thought of, and this is actually something, this actually triggered a lot of the stuff we built, I've done in Talk Social, which is, uh, you know, there's actually no real difference between me, me, like you seeing me now live versus a recording of me. It could be a deep fake or it could just be like a recording I played the other day of me gesticulating. Like it's, it's essentially the same experience, which again, I think it's just fascinating when you think of like, okay, say that someone has like this really good hype speech before every experience that they share, that like gets everyone really excited to share. Why not just record that? and like have that play at any time of day when anyone wants to have a good experience. Like, great, if you have the speech, if you have that like, you know, the classic Independence Day speech that gets everyone riled up, 
record that and play it. And then you don't have to give the speech every time you can be focusing on your next speech. So it's it kind of all like that was actually inspiration for like, it was like, hey, like maybe you're an AI. Wait, how can we actually apply that you know insight into the product? Well, from the perspective of our uh, the people listening to this podcast, the that will we'll just be uh, recorded shadows of ourselves from from inside the simulation, and they're they're out in the real world. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. just throw in a little bit of auto tune throughout, just so people can <laughs> yeah. you'll hear how well robotic robotic my voice is. Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's quite fascinating. I've sometimes felt like what I'm building is like a social network for people that are open to anything it's just like kind of like we have plenty of opportunities for people to do deep dives into hyper specific topics if you want to be the best fly fisher basket weaver you know canoeer you know cook etc there's so many communities where you can do deep dives but if you want to have like a very broad interest and if you just want to dabble you're just like hey i'm just like curious about learning which i think feel like increasingly if you're exposed to the internet you're either like getting hyper focused or you're just like oh my gosh like there's just so much stuff i'm just like constantly distracted like there's like oh there's all these new things is how do you actually enable the people that want to have community but have those community events community spaces constantly changing so it's not always the same thing you don't always talk about the same topic but instead it's you know you you're constantly changing and change is actually part of the community you want to be a part of versus something much more static because i feel like all communities become obsolete at some point but like a really permanent community would be one that is constantly changing, which is paradoxical because why are people part of it, et cetera. But just that's that that I resonate with that a lot. It's like, hey, just try lots of things and see what works. Or they have a superhuman mission that people are willing to self-sacrifice for and then creates their own momentum that way. Church is the canonical example of this. There's this superhuman order that you self-sacrifice towards because that gives you purpose and meaning beyond this current life. And it, it doesn't have to be church. It could be, it could be CrossFit or like, I don't know, or going to Mars or transhumanism or whatever. Floats yeah. And, I, and um, I almost wonder if it's like, like what are the future religions? And I wonder, you know, if on some level it's like a future successful religion might actually celebrate like individual hypocrisy. I mean, I'm just like throwing this idea out there. Right. But it's like, celebrate what it means to be human because it feels like we get in trouble right when you have this like superhuman point of view of the world well what does it mean to be human to be a paradox i like deeply believe is like the best humans that like you know anyone that's something we look up to we're also terrible people you know someone makes a mistake and it can potentially ruin your life i'm not even going to comment on like for good or for worse but i'm just saying it's like if you look at the entire context of someone's life and you look at a few moments and if that is how you define that person you could either be like they're the best person that's ever lived or the worst person that's ever lived and that's like inherently us and i feel like we should celebrate on some level is imperfection and that makes the whole process of then forgiveness empathy etc have to be built in implicitly into this you know, new religion, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our personal philosophies and we're all deeply flawed at the same time. I make a mistake, let it go, move on and, you know, you know be present, live in the moment and try to improve myself. Like maybe mm -hmm. a tr more traditional, you know, Buddhist perspective. Mm -hmm. so. That makes sense.
it, it almost feels like there's a divide between it, it's like you said, right? It's like people who have a plan and are intentional about their social relations and then people who they just kind of float along and then it's just like their social group is just whoever they happen to bump into, right? It's like, you know, oh, I went to, you know, college and like here are my friends from college and that's and these are my friends, right? And it's like versus like I wonder also if like being intentional is a curse because then you have higher standards for people and that might not always be a good thing if we're all imperfect because then you're like, oh, well, you don't want to achieve transhumanism. Therefore, we can't be friends. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There is. Yeah, I think it's I think with all these things is self-awareness is so critical Uh, as in it's like the know thyself. Like if you have really high standards for people and, you know, and like you'll interact with people, maybe go on a few dates with someone and then you're like, ooh, you don't believe in transhumanism or such and such. <laughs> like we can't be friends. Yeah. Like as long as you are like, that's what I want to be doing. I'm okay with that at the expense. It doesn't have to be a, like an intentional thing, right? Because just like even unintentionally, we only have so many hours in the day. So it's just like you, you cannot... Like, if you just meet one person a day, you cannot, like, be messaging 365 people every day. You're just going to message whoever is top of mind. Like, let's say something comes up, you're like, hey, do you want to hang out on the thing, right? You're just going to, you're going to chat with whoever you chatted with last. So, again, it goes back to the workout. And, you know, I, like, social gym, that's how I describe what we're building in a way. It's like, what's a social gym look like? Like, how do you build social strength? Well, Well, how do you get people to go to the gym and not be on the couch? Yeah, I mean, that's where I like novelty, you know, I'll just like keep, you know, pounding the table, like novelty, it's, that's how Peloton successful, that's like novelty and energy. We want that like person, like, you know, P90X, like they're all, they're all the same, right? But it's, but it's like the person on the screen or the person in the, the workout room or your personal trainer, something about them that you like their style. Maybe you smell them, you love their pheromones, or maybe just like they just have a certain affect that you love. This is one thing where I feel like I will never understand introverts for, for that reason. It's just because to me, it's just mind blowing that someone would just be like, oh yeah, I'm like not doing anything. I'll just be at home and then for and then do that for weeks and then be perfectly satisfied. Sometimes I'm just like, damn, you are like from a different planet. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Well, that's funny because <laughs> I like... I even self-identify as a bit of an introvert, like maybe an uh-huh. ambivert, and like sure. you know, kind of talking like with, with talking a lot of uh, designer, like social designers and creators, hosts. I've been blown away by how many people will always say, "Well, I'm a bit of an introvert," and like people self-identify as introverts. And I think there's a lot of value in being a social creator, social director, even. Uh, that if you are an introvert, because then you get to create the environment that's heavily controlled. And you kind of control in a way so that you can do your thing. Uh, I also think the whole like introverts who aren't like social, like, you know, it's intro, like classic introverts and extroverts. And like, where do you get your energy from? Yeah. You can be a super outgoing introvert. It's more of just like you get your energy from maybe like, again, going through your process of like, oh, I refuse to talk small talk, but I'm will talk right. with anyone. Yeah. Versus an extrovert. It's like, oh, like if I'm opening my mouth and speaking words with someone else, that's good enough for me. It's, <laughs> you can be both be hypersocial and uh-huh. neither is right or wrong, but it's just like embracing your own process. Yeah. It's the, it's the coconut and the peach. Exactly. Yeah. There you yeah. go. So just be, find your own fruit and be your own fruit. Yeah. Be your own fruit. What a, what a great <laughs> message. 
Be your own fruit, people. Okay, well, that's it. You can learn more about Solon and sign up for Talk Social by going to their website at talk.social. Thanks for tuning in to Friendship Futurism. And as always, I'm open to feedback. So feel free to get in touch with me with your thoughts, comments, or questions at billmei.net. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can give it a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you downloaded it from so that it gets recommended to other people like you. Finally, if you want to hear more, you can sign up for my email list. It's at billmei.net slash email. I'll send you the latest and greatest insights that I've been thinking about. This is the best way of keeping in touch with me. All right. Hope you have an amazing day. Bye.